0: Thanks for checking out this message from City on a Hill Church International. For ways to connect and get involved in the life of our church, please go to our website,
1: coah.co.za. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. (laughs) We're so glad to have you here. And um, good evening to those that are online. Um, We're so happy to have you and tonight we are very excited that we will be interviewing Dallin. And um, yeah, I want to pray for us and then I'm excited for, for what is going to be shared. So thank you, Jesus, for this time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for testimony, Lord. Thank you that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I ask, Lord, that even tonight as, as Dallin shares his story, that you would um, show show people that they have a story You want us to be part of a bigger story which is your story jesus so i thank you lord that you invite us to be part of your story and thank you that you are the main character in that story and that i uh, ask that you would help us just to allow you into all the bits of our lives um, and make our stories beautiful in jesus name amen 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 so,
2: Dallin, welcome. We're thank so you. excited, excited. When, when Ainsley said to me, uh, man, we're going to do this, uh, tell us your story. The first name that popped into my mind was, was Dallin, because I believe you have such an amazing story that's not only going to impact um, young people, but old people also that find themselves in, in similar situations. So, so thank you for putting your hand up and saying, I'll be a part of this. Yeah, so good. thank you. I, so just to kick off, I, I want to find out from you Tell us your pedigree, for the lack of a better word. Tell us your pedigree, your family, have you, is it your, are you first generation saved, second generation saved? Tell us about your, your grandparents and your, your parents.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm blessed to have you know, uh, a history that's rich in the church. My, uh, from my dad's side, both uh, my dad uh, my grandfather, and my grandmother were saved. Uh, They were basically born Christian, in planting the first church in the south coast. So when the missionaries came from America and they're trying to break into uh, the south coast, a lot of Hinduism, strongholds were in the south coast. And my grandfather put his hand up and says, no, you can use my house as a church. So, you know, we come from a strong uh, background with regards to that. On mom's side, uh, so my mom's parents wasn't saved. But from a young age, my mom had this desire to, you know, to know who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. So she would be, I think, like at 11 or 12, going to Sunday school without my my, my grandparents knowing. And she just fell in love with Jesus, and then she gave her heart to the Lord. And through her faithfulness, my grandparents also came to know Jesus. So, yeah, and then obviously my parents were involved in the church. They were... Sure, I think I can remember more days in the church than out of the church. (laughs) So, like my whole childhood, so all I knew was church when I was young. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. always a good thing, thing, yes.
2: So tell us a little bit about yourself then. So we've heard your pedigree, Mm. so tell us where you were born, a little bit of your own personal history Mm -hmm. and your journey through South Africa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was born in Pochepston, uh, South Coast, and okay, my, my birth in itself is a miracle. So, my mom was pregnant with me, and I think she was five months in, I'm in, I mean, five weeks in, sorry, into the pregnancy, and uh, she had a, she almost had a miscarriage. So, she didn't know she was pregnant at the time, and then she could just feel this pain, and then she went to the doctor and she's like, Do you know you almost lost your child? And then she was like, Oh wow. <laughs> And from, so from five weeks in, there was already resistance. And then um, my mom went into labor, and then she was ready to give birth, and then she goes in. And then my dad, I, my dad when, he t- when he tells the story, I can feel his emotions in his words. And then the doctor came out and told my dad, uh, okay, this is a 55th for save your son. And my dad told the doctor, uh, you're gonna to have to go back inside and bring both of them, otherwise don't come out. <laughs> so I think it threatened him. <laughs> so, and then God, you know, his, his, his faithfulness and his mercy, he, he brought both, <laughs> and my mom. So yeah, that was the first uh, or the second miracle before I was even born. Jesus had his hands on my life already, yeah. And uh, so primary schooling there. And then high school was an interesting journey for me. So I've been to four different high schools. Uh, I was expelled from one. So that just tells you, you know, at a young age, when God has a plan for you, the enemy tries and steals that from you. And so while I was in high school, I had, uh, I think I made a few wrong choices, a few wrong choices in friends, um, the company I kept, and so I was doing any, like, everything a teenager you expect them to do, completely disobeying my parents, knowing what was right from wrong, but doing the complete opposite. I was uh, smoking, I was dealing DACA. <laughs> Let me just tell you, my dad's a policeman, <laughs> and uh, my mom's a correctional officer, so there'd always be a joke that my dad would lock them up and my mom would take care of them. And I just thank God that my dad didn't lock me up and my mom didn't. <laughs> so that would have been an interesting story. But I've been through uh, a lot of phases in my life, and that was, that was a very difficult phase for my parents specifically. So I remember one instance. I was, in, um, I was in school, and we found friends who thought it was a good idea to make a quick buck and, <laughs> and sell it to someone who needed it. So. You know, we sold it, we made some money, we had money for a pie and coke. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, so the guy we sold it to ended up getting caught because he decided to smoke it in the middle of, like, the assembly area. And then <laughs> so obviously my name gets mentioned. The first question in any interrogation is, where did you get it from? And then they mentioned my name. So they knew, they knew my dad was a policeman, and then they phoned my dad. So my dad is on patrol. He comes in with his uniform, and he comes straight to the office and he picks me up. And I remember being so scared. If my dad doesn't speak, he's angry. He didn't say a word, he just took me. And I'm getting ready to jump in the, so he came with a police van, he's in full uniform. And I'm getting ready to jump in the back of the back seat. He doesn't open the backseat door, he opens where the criminals would sit. So he opened the back of the police van and then he tells me to get in. He puts me in. Yes, and then <laughs> now I'm thinking I'm going home to collect hiding, you know? So if, it's biblical. You, your parents, you're allowed to teach your children. I just want you to know that, okay? <laughs> so, so my dad takes me and he takes me on a drive. Before we get home, we could take a drive past the police station and. Uh, shows me the holding cells. It doesn't say anything to me and I just can remember the smell. No, the holding smells. Smells me home. He uh, doesn't, doesn't take me out of the police van. I'm still in the back. I think an hour later my mom comes out. <laughs> my mom always bails me out of trouble. <laughs> she comes out, she takes me out of the police van. And the thing about my parents, they would never speak to me when they were angry. And it's so important because in anger you say things that uh, you probably can't take back. And I thank my parents for being so wise in that, in that aspect.
2: So quickly, Dallin, let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah. <coughs> you said you went from <coughs> school to school. Yes. And you were expelled from school. Yes. So that's interesting. I can't imagine Dallin being expelled from
0: school. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. <laughs> at
2: all. So that sounds also interesting. Can you tell us why? What, what happened? Uh, you moved to four schools, you mentioned. Four high
0: schools, yeah. So the first high school that I was expelled, I, the teacher didn't say expelled, so he gave me a choice. He's like, you either leave the school or you don't come to school. So I think, okay, that's, that's expelled, okay. <laughs> I am trying to think, okay, I was expelled. So, the first expulsion came when my Afrikaans teacher okay, – I could I could not stand Afrikaans. It was horrible for me. <laughs> yes, he so. – and then he, in front of everyone, he said that I'm, like, this dumb – I was a dumb kid, and he was going to hit me in front of everyone. So, I stood up, and I went to him, and I was like, he said what? And now, this guy is extremely short. I'm probably twice his height. I'm like, you're going to hit me. So I basically pushed him, and then he said, get out the class, then they phoned my parents, and my parents are always coming in uniform. <laughs> <laughs> They're always in uniform. They come again get to school, and they tell the situation to my parents, and then they had to move me to uh, Pochepson Senior Primary, the second school that I was, and then that's where I was. the whole drug story came out about me dealing DACA, and So they were going to expel me that instant. I think my dad, I don't know what he did. He probably begged the principal, you know, and they gave me till the end of the year. So I finished my grade nine there. And then after grade nine, my mom uh, got a promotion to Pretoria, and then I moved to Pretoria. And then that's how we ended up in Kauteng.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I wanted to find out, so it's what I'm hearing you say is that your parents were actually good parents.
0: Amazing. (laughs) They
1: they weren't, because I think this is an important point, is that mm. many times when, when children go off the rails, the parents feel like they've done something wrong or mm. it's their fault, um, but would you say it was more the friends that you mentioned earlier? The so what would you perhaps say to encourage those parents that really feel like they're doing the right thing, mm. but their kids are just you know, doing silly things?
0: <laughs> yeah, You know, um, my parents are amazing. You know, they, they raised me, I think, the, probably the best any parent would. But, you know, you need to understand that the element of the enemy is real. The greater the calling for your children, the more pressure or resistance they're gonna get. So, we can teach them as much as we can. But the moment they leave your house, I'll be praying that God has their hands over them. And my parents did that. Yes, i made a lot of wrong choices, <laughs> and parents shouldn't be hard on themselves because of that. You know, the child has, we have our own lives, we, have, we make our own decisions, and at the end of the day, the thing that really, really, up till today, I think we'll speak about how the change happened, but the one element for me that my parents had was forgiveness. And uh, up till today, I could do anything wrong, but yeah. Uh,
2: Yeah, for me, I, um, my kids always around the dinner table would ask me a similar question. When we do anything wrong, how do you feel? And I would say to them, I I come back to myself, where have I fallen short? And then Micaiah one day said to me, Mommy, Jesus loves everybody, but not everybody chooses him. I don't think he blames himself for that, because he did what he did. He paid the ultimate price. And so I think parents should feel, um, yes, you always have the burden of, you know, where have fallen short. But I think as long as you've known that you've done your best, you've trained them in the ways of the Lord, mm. they will come back. They will come back. Mm. So Dellen, share a little bit more about your, you said Dachar is was Dacha the only thing you you fooled around uh, with? That it was I remember, yeah. That you remember? That I remember, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so not drinking or anything like that?
0: I did. So uh, alcohol was there um, when, I mo- when I was in high school. So now I'm in Pretoria. Uh, so I moved to two high schools in Pretoria. The first one I was in, you know, I stayed in Midran for quite a while. And then I moved high schools there because of transport. It was a bit far from where my parents were working and I moved to Pretoria and in my matric year, obviously choice of friends again, you know, and uh, uh, (laughs) be careful when they say study group. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it was more like a drinking group. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, we, you know, we had fun, which I thought it was fun at the time. Uh, We we drank and got drunk and it was at my house. And <laughs> it was my house, I passed out, and my, my dad came from, from work that day, and now my dad knows the smell of alcohol. He probably could smell it like a kilometer away. So he walks in, he smells it, he looked at me, he's like, I see what now? You know, and so my mom comes, and then I can hear them talking, I can, I can hear my mom crying, and then, um, So, as I said, that day that I was drunk, my dad did not talk to me. I went, he said, No, you need to go to sleep. We'll speak in the morning. So, my dad's code word for we need to talk is we're going to the car wash. (laughs) So, now I knew a lecture was coming. So, he said, Okay, we went to the car wash. So, I had a few car wash moments in my life. This was one of them. But what wash? So, my dad being a policeman, he started interrogating me. What bottle was it? Who was there? What color? Was it vodka? What was the percentage? I'm like, oh my word, I don't know any of these answers to this. (laughs) And then he starts talking to me, and, you know, he said, what really struck me was, he's like, son, I'm disappointed. And you see, my father telling me this. At the time, to me, like me, but later on, seeing my father, and you know, saying, speaking about forgiveness, how important forgiveness is, when my father forgave me, he never brought all the other stuff I did. Now we're just dealing about me drinking. He didn't bring up the teacher story, he didn't bring up the Dhaka story, we just both focused on one aspect. And it's so important when parents forgive your children, you like to bring up things, the mistakes your children made. Sure. And you know, when my father saw me, he didn't see this kid who was a delinquent. He saw his son that he loved. And I think ultimately that's what completely changed me. So, yeah. That's just amazing.
2: So, you got a very good understanding of the father's love. Yes. Hey, through your own father. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that we replicate that Mm -hmm. in our upbringing of our children. So, Dallin this this question is you you were raised in a home that didn't compromise besides the fact that they worked for for state and in the you know being a police and the correctional service you had the biblical truth being preached to you you went to Sundays, you spent more time in church than you did at at home like you said so you knew right from wrong and i'm sure that moment when you decided to do the wrong thing, there was a little voice that said, are you sure? When you took that little sip, there's a little voice that said, are you sure you want to do this, my boy? What made you choose to do it anyway?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. You know, we know right from wrong. Even okay, in the church aspect, yes. Even if you, if, you, if you find kids who are not in the church, and you ask them, is smoking right? They're going to say no. But still, we, we do it anyway. I think, for me, why I ended up doing those things was because I didn't really understand what it was, um, what it meant to be in a loving home. What I'm trying to say is my parents showed me unconditional love, but I took that for granted. And peer pressure for kids, it's a real thing. There's kids out there that also, who know right from wrong, but are coming from homes who don't instill that in them. And the kids who do know it, they're the ones that are getting pressured into doing things. They're, my parents taught me, no, you don't smoke, you don't drink. But I did it anyway. I think it's, for me it was trying to fit in into school because being a kid who was brought up in the church you're not cool. <laughs> You're not cool in school. Trust me. And uh, I think I wanted to be a cool kid. And I think one of the reasons why I went down that path was because being a, a good kid, being a Christian kid, is not easy. And you—they are the ones who are pressured the most to do the things that are not right. Mm-hmm. And yes, we've all fallen short. But I'm just grateful for God's grace. You know?
1: You know, just with that, what, what would you say to the kids? I know we said what you'd say to the parents, but how would you encourage them just with regards to those challenges and peer pressure? Um, you know, what, what encouragement would you, you give them?
0: Sure. Sometimes, it's, it's, for me, it was uh, later in, in my journey that I realized the sacrifices that my parents would make for me. I think kids, uh, we need to look at our parents. You need to look at their lives. You need to understand what they're putting in. What are they doing for us? The, the... Okay, now I'm working, and yes, see, working sometimes is—you <laughs> don't want to go to work all the time. But my dad and mom made sure they woke up, they went to work, food was prepared, lunch was made. My dad made lunch for me all the way till uh, I was. But we need to understand that our parents. They try our best for us. And the moment you understand the sacrifices that your parents make for you, you would never do anything to try and disappoint them. So I think kids, we really need to understand the sacrifices our parents make for us. Same if you look at Jesus, if you understand the sacrifice Jesus made for us, would we want to sin? So it's the same. It's like we really need to understand that, yeah?
2: You said something to me one day when we were crying and it stuck with me till today you said and you were sharing just bits and bobs of your of your of your testimony you were sharing and and it triggered something in me you know when 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 my eldest daughter was born they, they they don't come with manuals so we never know whether we're doing it right or we're doing it wrong or whatever but being involved in ministry, you, you tend to want to raise the perfect child, the one that doesn't run up and down the aisle, the one that doesn't scream in the middle of the service. So, you know, you want the perfect baby because they are an extension of you. And you said something so interesting. The, there's a lot of pressure that's being placed on the, on the firstborn to set the pace for the others that are coming. And And that was also one of the little triggers that... Sort of made you those things. You're not as perfect as your parents want you to be, and you're not as perfect as your parents. Can you to share a little bit about that for you,
0: know, yeah. Del? 100%. You know, uh, my brother is sitting there. <laughs> Life easy. Uh, <laughs> being the firstborn comes with its challenges. As Auntie Daphne was saying, we don't come with manuals. But I remember my parents expected a lot from me good grades, taking part in, as I said, I had, I was in the church all the time. I would, I would remember my parents signing me up for things I didn't even know about. You know, I come from school on Friday, my bags is packed, they're like, uh, you're going to a youth camp. I'm like, when? like, now, jump in the car, we're (laughs) going. You know, my parents tried to raise me as to the book, you know, and, I didn't have, I felt like I didn't have a choice in anything. And so it would be like, Dallin, you're doing this, Dallin, you're doing that. You have to do this, you have to do that. So I felt at that age that my choice was taken away from me. And I think that's one of the reasons why me making those choices felt like it was my choice, Mm -hmm. even though it was wrong. (laughs) And choice is such an interesting word. Um, You know, parents want the best your children for the kids and you understand if a kid makes this choice what it leads to but parents they don't they don't want us to do fun things but the fun things have a lasting impact in our lives and we need to and parents you make the choices not the kids you need to make the choice if my parents wasn't hard on me and didn't tell me what's right from wrong and set the rules for me I'd, only God knows where I would still be now, probably, oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> but don't let the kids do the parenting, you have to do the parenting. You make the choices for them. Because from a, from a young age we don't know what's right from wrong. You know, we, the parents will set the pace and the kids need to follow. So yeah, you the... A p- good point is that,
1: because um, I think nowadays often the kids determine how, what, what happens and they rule the roost. But Um, i like what you've been saying about your parents were quite strict and quite firm and so to encourage parents out there but then also um, for kids perhaps growing up with parents that are 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 also not living righteous lives um, that if you the first generation that decides that you are going to follow god it's really hard um, but you and to the next generation won't have to fight the battles that you are choosing to fight but if you you don't fight those battles, then the next generation will have to fight them. And what I love is that you have, um, like you're saying, your grandparents on your father's side um, served the Lord, and and that that's how it should be, that as we serve the Lord, um, our kids don't have to fight those battles. so.
2: So we've heard all the interesting journeys of your ups and downs. So share with us Your experience. How did you find Jesus, and how 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 does your encounter or your love story with him begins?
0: Yeah, so yeah, finding Jesus was amazing. (laughs) He was always there, uh, you know, always knocking, always glimpses of him throughout my life. Um, So when I was in uh, Pretoria, still in the church, yo, I think as much as possible. My parents would drag me to church. I'll come from university, I would be writing exams till like seven o'clock in the evening, and my dad is like, where are you? You need to be in church. So it's my parents constant nagging, constant, you need to be there, and um, eventually, so we ended up in Clackstop, I think about four or five years ago, and so we found this church, uh, so how we found this church, my dad would Google, he found City on the Hill. we came here, we never... So over here in this church, we are a uh, gather, go and grow church. And so there was a, an outreach in Bray. And Romke came here, he stood here, he says, there's an outreach in Bray, you know, you need to go. So, my parents were sitting there and they looked at us. They're like, Yeah, are you going? I'm like, yeah, I don't have a choice, do I? So, yeah. So, me and my brother went. We, we packed our things. We bought sleeping bags and we went on this outreach. So, before I got, we went on this outreach, I've already experienced Jesus before. I knew what his presence felt like. I knew the Holy Spirit was tangible. I knew you could feel him. But you know, it was just something you would brush off. So we go on this outreach, and we go to Bray. So we camp, we stay in the bush somewhere, and then so we do street evangelism. As so as we get there, set up the tent, we find the corner that you want to sleep in, and so Duran being quiet, it was Duran. I'm in the center because it was cold, and then Vian on the other side. <laughs> okay, so we get there, we start doing street vandalism, and Romka is like, Romka, You know Romka? He throws you in the deep end. It's like, I, we just go knocking on doors, praying for people, so we're going, we're knocking at doors. And then I see so many kids without parents, just kids running around, and immediately I was just drawn to children. And I'm like, yes, so many kids, missing fathers, missing mothers. Now I'm speaking about it, I understand why I was drawn to them because I have a loving mom, a loving dad, and these kids can't experience that. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, I'm like, I've been taking so many things for granted. So we see these kids, we play with them, we go door to door knocking, praying for people, seeing God's hand move. Physically, we've seen people got healed, the lame walking, the, the deaf hearing. It was, unbel- it was something unreal, you know? And then we'll, we'll come back to base, and then, this is just what I see. And then there's other manys, and I'm like, "Yes, Jesus is real. He's working, he's moving. But well, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> you know, you ask yourself the question. People are having these testimonies, people are having, they're praying over people, but what am I doing with my life, you know? And I knew from, from birth I've had God's hand over me, I've had these promises, I've had, but I wasn't living in it. And I'm taking so many things for granted, and I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's time, we, it's time to make a change. And then the next morning we wake up, Romka's like, okay, you need to, be pressing in, you just you need to consul. think about love about Ramka, we always consult the holy spirit before we go out onto the field we consult the holy spirit we, we, we push in prayer we prayed i had a, a like an image or a vision of a tent that uh i didn't see the tent before there was this image in my that came and there was a tent and as soon as i walked out of that meeting here's this tent and i'm asking myself who's sleeping in this tent? And it was Brad. So Brad was one of the guys that came on on the mission with us. And then I'm like, I'm following Brad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else to do, I'm following Brad. (laughs) So we followed Brad and then he goes to this, I don't know, so we split up into I think it was Andres. And then I go with Brad and we're doing door-to-door evangelism and I can't speak the language. And you know, God is so good. so everyone picks a partner, okay, and no one picks me, <laughs> but then it was me and this other guy left, okay, and then obviously we're in the team now. But he was the only guy who could speak the language. No one thought about it, but you need a translator. okay? How are you going to speak to people if you can't communicate with them? So I got the guy who spoke the language. And we were the most effective team that day because we were able to communicate with people, you know? So we got there, we started knocking on doors and now we're trying to explain to people we're having service at 5 p.m. at this one lady's house. And I promise you everyone we spoke to came for for that church service. And then God did something amazing. I think there's a church currently running there now because of when we went there, yeah.
1: Sure, and if, um, for those of you who don't know Romke, you can watch the interview with, with him and Chantal that we did last, last Sunday. And then also we have got a Mozambique outreach that's coming up, so um, if you would like to go, you can pop, pop a message in the comments if you're online or um, visit the info desk, please, we, it's gonna be fun.
0: It's, it's, trust me, it, it, I feel like you receive more than what you give, you know, I, it's, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's an amazing story as well. Yeah,
0: that's an amazing story. Um, So we had an opportunity to go to Swaziland. And so we just got out of Bray, uh, back home, I'm hungry. I'm like, experienced such a powerful thing. And you're like, no, God, I want more of you. So there's a hunger building inside of me. And then Jared and uh, Kara, uh, so Kara stayed in Swaziland. Jared was caught in Kara at the time. And he was like, Dallin, we're planning a trip to Swaziland. Would you like to come? I'm like, yeah, of course. And shes I don't even know where Kara was. So I said, where's Kara Swaziland? Okay, good. Then she said, uh, Kara works at Pasture Valley, and she's a teacher for all the orphans there. I'm like, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Now I get to to minister to them. And then so we go to Swaziland. It was Doron, myself, Rina, Jared, and Kara. We go there to Swaziland. So we go there everything is amazing. So it's completely opposite from Bray, we had hot water, we slept in the bed, so it was very comfortable. <laughs> and then so there were kids there and you know I started building this passion for for children and we got to, when we first got there it did not feel like we're in the orphanage happy. They were, they experienced love there and what's good about Pasture Valley is they centered around Jesus they teach Jesus as often as they can. And now that makes sense. When you preach Jesus, there's always happiness. And that's why those kids were so happy. They were loved, they were... So we were there, We we were painting buildings for them, we were building tables. So they just started a school there. And so we spent time with kids. So while we were there, we didn't know it at the time. So we got into Swaziland where there was a bit of unrest, you know, beneath the surface. The, 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 the people wasn't happy with the king. So we're carrying on with our normal, normal routine. I think we're having lunch. My brother at the time was extremely sick. He had, uh, I think he had a bladder infection. So I have him in the back of my mind and then we're having lunch. All of a sudden, we see all these kids. I think there were about 90 kids in that orphanage. We see a handful of, of these teenagers running past us, and we're wondering what's happening. We get out, we just see this cloud of smoke just on the felt there. So the orphanage is at the center and it's surrounded by a forest, like there's a lot of a forestry industry there. And we just see these kids running, and we just see the smoke coming up, and we're wondering what's happening. So the orphanage was run by the Mayberg family, and they have very close connections to the king. So they got this under the impression that the king is playing favoritism and he's allowing the white, very upset. And they're trying to burn this place down. So as they are coming, they're setting fires around and I'm seeing these kids running with these branches. Now you need to understand that this is the only home these kids know. So for them, they're fighting to, to make sure this place doesn't burn. And these kids are running and then we split up into groups. We take a handful of kids I ended up with with a few of the girls, the older girls, and then we're trying to be putting off fires now. So we're in the forest, taking like branches and just beating the fire. And all of a sudden, in the distance, I can see this mob of people approaching us. So it's me and it's it's five girls with me, I think five or six. And I'm telling these girls, I can see this group of people coming. I don't think it's safe for us. I need you to go and run into the forest where they can't see you. So I'm standing here. I don't know how where I became so brave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm standing here, and in the distance, I see these people approaching, and they have these handmade bombs. So it's basically an alcohol bottle that's stuffed with a piece of cloth. And once you light it and throw it, it just, like a fire spreads. And I see them approaching me, and all I remember saying is like, closed my eyes, I said, God, you brought me here, I know you're gonna take me back. So I just stood there, stood my ground, and these people literally just walked, I don't know if they walked through me, but they walked right past me, they didn't even touch me, completely past, and then I'm like, where did everyone go? I looked over my shoulder, and they completely walked right past us, complete without throwing anything, without throwing any bombs or lighting any fires. And in that moment, complete peace, knowing that God was watching over me at that moment. I honestly thought we weren't coming back home that day. And it was, you know, if God takes you through something, he's definitely gonna see you out the other side. And having that faith in him, having that trust in him, you know, he'll never fail us
2: sure that's powerful and i think that's so encouraging you know when we go out there we don't know what to expect and and it, when god says go know that his hand is over you know that he's encouraging. so i just want to ask you dylan what is your advice to the kids these days you know there's so many so much of challenges there's social media that's there that's a huge distraction there is um there's so much that's distracting Peer dealing at school what would your advice be to those kids out there that's finding themselves in a position like, like yours? Well, you were. Hmm.
0: Sure, it's, uh, I think it's a lot harder now to be a kid in school than it was when I was there. I think the, 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 the thing that really is difficult for kids is identity, mm-hmm. finding identity in the wrong place. And I encourage uh, parents, my parents dragged me to church, no matter what. That's the best place to find identity, is when you're found in the house of God. So firstly, an encouragement to parents, bring your kids to church, as even if they resist, bring them. For the kids, it's not easy to go to school when the kids our age group are doing things that seem fun, seem like it's pleasurable. But I want to encourage you that there's a God who looks at us and loves us completely. No matter what we've done, no matter what we go through, no matter what our family background or, or how, we, how bad we do in school, Jesus loves each and every one of us, especially the kids. Jesus has a heart for kids, and he reaches out for us. So find yourself in church. Put your identity in Jesus, because that's where your. T- I know now these pronouns identify as this and that and what. I like. That's where we find our identity, and my pronoun would be the child of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a too long pronoun. I don't know if it works, but let's find our identity in Jesus. He made us. He created us. He knows our ins and outs. He knows our purpose. He knows our plans so you know if you want to look for identity you find it in him
1: mm, oh maybe um would you pray for us and pray I'd, li- I'd love for you to also to just pray for the parents pray for the kids and um yeah
0: let's pray thank you jesus for who you are lord i thank you father that you chase us down As you leave the 99 for the one lord just to find the people who are lost I thank you, Father, for having a heart for us. I thank you for the cross, Lord, that you looked at it and you saw the joy before it. You saw us, you had us in mind. I thank you for the parents, Lord, I pray strength over them, I pray wisdom over them. When it comes to raising their children, they will look to you for answers, Father. That they will raise the children according to your ways, Father. Father, I pray for the kids. Let them understand that there is a God who loves them that the parents who are in their lives are there for a reason, that they'll understand the sacrifices that our parents make for us, that we understand that how they love us, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will guide the kids, you will guide the parents according to your ways. May you have your hands upon the kids in, in Clagstop. May you have the hands upon the teachers. I pray for our schools in Jesus' name. May you just come and intervene, Father. Every curse that's placed on kids in Jesus' name right now. I pray, Father, that you will. Let them experience you, Lord, so that they can find identity in you, that they can find love in you, Jesus. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. And I want to encourage you, um, for those that are online, especially if, for you to find community that I'm sure for your mom and dad, they had um, Christians that were praying with them. And so even if you're a single mom, to, that the church is a place where, where you can have the support where you can have um, the the father to the fatherless is found within um, local churches and and people that can be praying for you and encouraging you and for the for the young people as well just to there are friends that that are waiting for you in church and um, to encourage you with that so thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed this message from city on a hill church international For more content and ways to connect, visit
1: www.coah.co.za. Thanks for listening.